Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Well, good morning, City of Refuge. My name is Brandon Freemian. Uh, I'm on staff here at the church. Um, I'd like to begin with a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we turn our attention now to your word. I pray, God, that you would meet us, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive what you would have for us, that we would be good soil. Pray that you would be glorified, and that we would be built up from our time this morning. All these things I pray in your precious and holy name. Amen. So I want you to remember back what's probably going to feel like a long, long time ago, which was Christmas. So I know this time of year, it starts to feel like, wait, Christmas? That, that did happen. I remember now. But during Christmas, likely at some point, you heard some of the prophecies about Jesus. Right there, it's pretty common to bring up, these are the things that prophesied that Jesus was going to be born. And one of the kind of central texts of that is Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. And I wanted to read that. It says this, it says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And then later on comes that famous text where it talks about, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now I bring this up because... The stories we have been studying in Mark up to this point, including the stories we're going to look to today, actually take place in where this prophecy talks about. So do do we have the map that we can put up? Perfect. So you'll see up at the north part of the map there is the Sea of Galilee. The first story we're going to look at this morning takes place on the western coast of the Sea of Galilee, which is more of a Gentile region But the rest of it is going to take place on the east side in what historically was the land that was designated for the tribe of Naphtali. I find that very interesting because this prophecy in Isaiah 9, although yes is in reference to Jesus' birth, seems to indicate that this area was going to experience something very specific, namely that people walking in darkness were going to see a great light. We're going to be looking today at Mark 5. And honestly, Mark 5 may be one of the darkest chapters in all of Mark. Probably with the exception of the crucifixion of Jesus, there is no other chapter that so much points out and and has such intense demonstrations of human suffering and despair. But because of that, We're going to see when Jesus shows up, the light is going to shine very brightly in fulfillment of what we see here, that those who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
So if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to Mark 5. I'm going to be reading verses 21 through 43, though I will be later on summarizing what comes earlier in the chapter in verses 1 through 20. So starting in verse 21, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse." She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. So going back to the beginning of this chapter, you may remember last week, Anna preached on Mark 4. And at the end of Mark 4, we had the story of them getting on the boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. And that was the moment where we had the storm blow up and Jesus is asleep. And the disciples wake him up like, why don't you care about us? We are perishing. And there was this tremendous moment where Jesus just calms the storm this tremendous demonstration of power and authority over creation that leaves the disciples going, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? But this trip was on the way to the east side of the Sea of Galilee, which was a predominantly Gentile region. Jesus gets off the boat at the beginning of chapter 5 and is immediately met by a man possessed with a demon. 
Now, in verses 3 and 4, we get this description of what life was like for this man. And one of the things I find striking about this chapter is that Mark, who normally seems to be, you know, very brief in the way he describes things, actually spends some time in this chapter focusing in on what life was like for these people. And here in verse 3, we get the life of this man possessed by a demon. It says, He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and changed, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So just picture in your mind what life was like for this man. Literally, living among the dead. People would come and try to restrain him, not because he was a danger to them, but because he was a danger to himself. And he would do himself harm, and they would hear him crying out day and night. And then Jesus comes. And it says that immediately, this man possessed by a demon comes to see Jesus. And this is something we've seen before. John talked about this a couple chapters ago, about how when Jesus confronts the demons, it's not a fight, it's a rout. And this demon-possessed man comes to Jesus, not because he's looking to fight Jesus, he's coming to plead with him. He says to Jesus, please don't torment me. And then in what is probably one of the creepiest, almost horror movie-esque moments in all of the scriptures, we have Jesus ask him, what is your name? And he goes, my name is Legion, for we are many. I don't know about you, but if I was following Jesus at this time, I think this would be the point where I'd be like, you know, I'm good. I think I'm out. Right? This is some terrifying stuff. But Jesus is not afraid. And in what is a bit of a mystery, the demons make an ask of Jesus. They want him to send them out into a herd of pigs. Now, I don't exactly know why. The text doesn't give us a whole lot to go on about why Jesus said yes to this request. But he does. The demons go out of the man into the pigs, and then all the pigs kind of go lemming style over the cliff. And then the herdsmen, now missing a couple pigs, come and they see this man who they knew as the one who had cut himself and was crying out at night, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they're terrified. So terrified that they ask Jesus to leave. Jesus obliges, and as he's leaving, this man who had been healed begs him to be able to go with him. But Jesus tells him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. I found this so striking that before God called Peter 
to go to the Gentiles before he called Paul to go to the Gentiles. He sent this man, this man who had been possessed by legion, to go with a very simple message of, look how much God has done for me. Look at the mercy that God has had for me. Those who walked in darkness have seen a great light. The story goes on in the section we read. Jesus gets back on the boat, goes back across the Sea of Galilee, evidently without the storm this time. They arrive on the opposite shore, and he's met by a man named Jairus, who was a leader in the synagogue, who is desperate. He's desperate because his daughter is sick, and he knows she's dying. And he comes and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus, begging Jesus to come and heal his daughter. Jesus says yes, and they head out. And then we have this interruption. Jesus is walking in the crowd, and there's a woman there. And again, we get this description of what life has been like for her. This is in verse 25. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So we have a person here suffering from a chronic illness. So that's one aspect of her suffering has been the illness itself. There was another aspect to it, though, because the nature of this illness meant that she would have not been able to participate in temple worship or been a part of the community. It would have been considered unclean, so there was a societal suffering that she was experiencing as well because of this illness. Then it even goes beyond that and talks about that she had suffered under the hands of many physicians. Now, I want to be careful with this because I don't think the text here is maligning doctors or medical professionals. Now, I want to be clear, I am not maligning doctors or medical professionals. I am married to a doctor. I am not maligning doctors and medical professionals. But what I do think this is getting at, and that I think doctors and medical professionals would agree with, is that treatment is very often involves some amount of suffering. I mean, if you think about what it's like to be diagnosed and then Things like surgery are like, or even medicines that have particular side effects. Like, there is a certain level of suffering that you endure when you are trying to treat a disease in the hopes that on the other side of that, there is relief from that suffering. And how discouraging it is if you walk through that and on the other side of it, it doesn't get better. And what it seems like has happened to this woman is that that has happened over and over and over again. But she has a hope. She has a belief. She believes that if she can just push through this crowd, if she can just touch his garment, that she can be well. And by the grace of God, she's right. She touches his garment and is immediately made well. And then we have this kind of humorous moment where Jesus, and again, a little bit of a mystery, seems to have healed her kind of by accident, obviously not an accident from God's perspective, but he asks, 
Who touched me? He knows power has gone out from him. And the disciples are like, Jesus, we're in a crowd. Literally everybody is touching you. But the woman comes forward and tells him what had happened. And he says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And finally, this person who had suffered over and over and over again finds relief from the healing of Jesus. Those who walk in darkness have seen a great light. So Jesus continues on from there. And then a messenger comes with the news that absolutely no parent ever wants to hear. Your daughter has died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Now, there's an implication there. Don't bother the teacher anymore, right? That implies something that there is a belief this has just gone beyond what Jesus can do. Dealing with demons, sure. Healing, sure. Seen him do it all the time. But this girl has died. This is certainly beyond what Jesus can do. Jesus, overhearing this conversation, turns to the man and says, do not fear, only believe. They travel to the house where they hear the morning cries. And Jesus tells them, don't weep, she is not dead, just sleeping. And they laugh at him. And they laugh at him because they know she has died and they think he is a fool. But he puts them out, takes only a handful of disciples and goes into the girl. And I love the way the Jesus Storybook Bible talks about this. He goes to the girl and it says in that version, he says, he reached down into death and gently brought the girl back to life. This incredible moment where we see, yes, even life and death, Jesus has authority over this. Those who walk in darkness have seen a very great light. Now, these stories absolutely demonstrate the power and authority of Jesus. You have his power and authority over spiritual powers. You have his power and authority over disease. And now we see even power and authority over life and death, which is something that the disciples had not seen yet. This is new for them. And you also see in these stories the sovereignty of God. Because not everyone that Jesus encounters, even in this story, are healed, right? We have to imagine that there were others in that crowd who were hoping Jesus would heal them. There were probably others who were suffering beyond these, but this is not yet the moment when God is going to restore all things. But what we see here as John talked about, is it is a foretaste of the kingdom. It is a foretaste of what it is going to be like when God does finally restore all things. And we get that picture in Revelation where finally we see that there is no more death, there is no more tears, there is no more disease. And we can go and we can read that in Revelation and think back and go, oh yeah, Jesus already demonstrated he can do that. 
so we can have faith that it will happen. But one of the things I love about these set of stories is that there is two characteristics of Jesus that I think are here that I find deeply admirable. One is his compassion, and the other is his courage. We absolutely see a demonstration of Jesus' compassion. These stories show the deep compassion that Jesus had for people that were suffering. And in the midst of that, he was moved to act on their behalf. And I love the ways in the story that he just interacts with each of these people with so much care and so much kindness. And the ways he acts with the man that has a demon. The way he waits for the woman to show herself to describe what had happened to her. The way he encourages the father. There is just so much kindness and compassion in what Jesus does in this chapter. But I also see a tremendous amount of courage in the midst of this. One commonality that's in these stories is that in each of these stories, there had been others that had attempted to help and failed. So with the case of the demoniac, right, the people from the surrounding area had come and they tried to shackle him again, just trying to protect him from himself, but they had not been able to help him. With the woman, she had had so many doctors, so many physicians who had attempted to help her and failed. We have to imagine for the little girl that Jesus was probably not the first thing they had tried. And even those who were there attempting to help, who were helping, trying to more and help bring comfort in that situation, were ultimately failing at that. And these are situations, like if we think about putting ourselves in that moment, in those shoes, like how just frightening these stories would be. Right? How hard it is to step in to situations where someone is so overthrown in their mind that they're actually doing harm to themselves. Right? Situations where someone has a chronic illness and we, like, what do we even say? What do we do? How do we comfort? Or where we encounter death in really hard places and how would we enter into that? Like, these are situations where it would be very hard to know what to do or what to say. And I see Jesus enter into them with tremendous courage. Now, of course, there's probably part of us going, well, of course he was courageous. It's Jesus, right? But Jesus was human. And it is hard to enter into places where people are experiencing deep suffering. And it is something that requires courage. And I believe he proceeds with courage because one, he knows God's well. Two, he knows God's will. And he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so he can step into these places of deep brokenness that would be places that would be frightening for anyone to enter into with a great deal of compassion and courage. And when I see those two attributes of Jesus, something I deeply admire about him and something that I want to emulate. And I think that we're supposed to emulate as his followers. I think these stories resonate with us because while perhaps maybe on the extreme side in terms of what happens, there are circumstances that are not that far from us. We likely know people who are so overthrown in their minds or emotions that they do themselves harm in some form or fashion. There are people in our lives who are wrestling with chronic medical issues. We will face the loss of loved ones. 
and we will walk with those who lose people in their lives. We'll face misunderstanding and people who do not yet know the God we love and serve and may laugh when we enter into those situations with hope. These are the things that have been a part of our existence since the fall. We can look back in the scriptures and go back to Genesis 2 and see that moment where sin and death and brokenness entered in. And that is why this resonates, is because everything we're seeing in this chapter is just another living out of the fall. And according to the scriptures, it's going to be a part of our existence until Revelation 21, when will finally be that day when God chooses to restore everything. But in the meantime, as followers of Jesus, we have this opportunity to follow in his footsteps in entering into these places with compassion and courage. We will have plenty of opportunities to step into situations where we don't exactly know what to do or what to say or how we can help. We may enter into situations where others may have tried and failed to do anything. But I think this is part of what it looks like to follow Jesus in the way he serves. We've talked about that one of the things we wanted to do through the Gospel of Mark was look at Jesus as servant king, right? One, looking at who do we serve, but also how does Jesus serve? And I think this is one of the places where we get a clear sense of what kind of disposition it will take to serve like Jesus. It'll mean that we have to start from a place of compassion and courage. Now, one of the joys I have being on staff at this church is I kind of get a front row seat to a lot of what you all are doing in the world. And I know that many of you already carry these attributes, that you are already entering into difficult places with compassion and courage. And I guess I wanted to say to you all, if that is you and and it has been hard, as I know it has been for many of you over the last couple of years, know that what you do is deeply honoring to God and that it's very Christ-like. And I want to encourage you not to be discouraged or afraid in the midst of that, but to persevere, knowing that just as Jesus went in the power of the Holy Spirit into these places, so too do we go empowered by that same Holy Spirit. It will not always be with the miraculous results we see in this passage, but we can trust God that that he will show us what to say and what to do in those moments where we don't know to bring comfort and witness into these places of brokenness. We can trust him for that. And so I just want to encourage you to continue in that and to not be discouraged, knowing that God sees you and is pleased when he sees you being Christ-like in those things. But if you don't feel like you have those attributes yet, that you struggle to be compassionate, or you struggle to be courageous, I want to invite you to pray for that. Pray for God to give you that compassion. Ask him to break your heart for what breaks his. I will warn you, that is a very dangerous prayer. But I invite you into it anyway. 
because God is faithful and he hears our prayers and he will break your heart for what breaks his and give you that compassion if you ask him for it. And I would ask for God to give you courage that as he shows you those places and opportunities in your life where we can enter with compassion and courage, that he would give you the courage to step into those, knowing that just like Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit that goes with us, empowering us for those times when we just don't know what to do. City of Refuge, just like that demoniac man, we too have the story that we have received great mercy. So let us go out and tell and show how great God's mercy has been to us, that those who walk in darkness may see the great light of Jesus' salvation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I, I pray, God, that you would break our heart for what breaks yours. I pray, God, that we would have the same compassion that Jesus had. I pray that we would have the courage that Jesus had, that we would know the empowering of your spirit and the willingness to step out even when we don't know, when it's hard to know what to do or what to say. Lord, I thank you for these stories that just show the power of your restoration. And Lord, whether on this side of heaven or the next, God, we do pray for your restoration to come, to come in us, to come in those around us. Lord, we just pray the prayer of revelation. Come, Lord Jesus. We desperately need you. As much as the people in this chapter needed you, so too do we need you. So too the people around us need you. So come, Lord Jesus. All these things we pray in your precious and holy name. Amen.